As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, here we are. The Canucks lose their third straight game on this road trip, five to four, the final against Tampa. They made it interesting. We'll give them that. Right, they started out really well. Uh, wound up with the early lead, led after the first. Uh, sorry. They were down, actually, after the first 2-1, and then they wind up tying this game at two, two goals late in the game, and they had an incredible chance to tie this game up. Could you imagine if the Canucks scored three goals in the final six minutes against Tampa to tie the game? And then at that point, they probably win it in overtime or in a shootout, and that's what we're talking about in the midst of all of this because it has been a high-event day for the Vancouver Canucks. You've got this team deciding to... Uh, sit down Oliver Ekman Larson, their seven plus million dollar defenseman. You've got Tanner Pearson out after the game. Quinn Hughes said, Yeah, that wasn't handled correctly. My goodness, are you kidding me? He dropped that after the game. And like Curtis Lazar, what's he even doing out there in the final moments of that game when you've got to have some other options on the bench at that stage? But just so much to talk about because if nothing else, this team is not high event. The 19th time in 41 games during. So the 19th time in 41 games, the Vancouver Canucks have given up at least five goals in a game. 46% of the season, 46%, the Canucks have given up at least five goals. How does that happen? Okay, so first of all, the that wasn't handled right quote is incredible. Oh my goodness. That is wild, particularly because, you know, it felt like they needed to clarify that Pearson had had his third procedure when they made the announcement publicly on Twitter today. Um, that injury was not supposed to be long-term. And, no, it was supposed to be a one-month injury. And it's stretched out, you know, I, I sort of got word that he'd gone 
And I didn't know if it was surgery or second procedure, but I sort of heard rumblings that he'd had another procedure about six weeks ago, worked it with Dolly while he ended up being able to confirm it. And, you know, I, I, and then you get to today and he's shut down for the season. He was on the trip. Was he not? Um, he's been, no, I don't know. He's been around the team. Like I saw him a lot at the rink last week. Um, no, but they said that he was going to go on the trip. Both he and Demko theoretically right. went on the trip. And I then, don't know if they actually did or not. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I would imagine he had surgery okay. in Vancouver. You know, there's been a lot that the organization has had to take care of behind the scenes. Um, you know, they brought in a new medical staff. Uh, I, You know, I hear that for procedures, um, you know, they're using different people than they have in the past. Um, Obviously, we know about the dressing room renovation and how delayed that was. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff behind the scenes that I've heard players grumbling about, um, you know, and, and not even like hiding it particularly, you know, like just like annoyed by. And, you know, that's never good. That, that's never a good sign in a league where, you know, your goal as an organization should always be to eliminate excuses. That was always my standard, right? I've told you, I've said this before. My standard was always that I never wanted anyone to be able to say for, from a media relations standpoint, um, you know, like I was distracted by this. This was in my way. Uh, I just wanted athletes to be able to go out and perform and focus on winning games and filling seats. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that in a variety of ways, whether it's been public commentary or the furor around this team or the facilities or practicing on terrible ice out at UBC after, you know, the girls practices cut it off, uh, like cut it up. Right. Um, <laughs> it's kind of been a season in which the organization has been in the club's way. Um, well, you yeah, but love- how much of that, how much of that even look, I, I'm, you know, me, I'm not going to sit here and say for a second, this club is behaving with the, the height of professionalism in mind. But that said, how much does this just get that much more amplified when you suck? By the results? Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, look, no no question. But if you're at the point where regarding a player's medical status, there's a breakdown in trust, then you're talking about something real, right? There's, it's sure. one thing to be like, oh, the ice or like, oh, you know, or a sense of dislocation in your day to day. It's like, realistically, you could disrupt the Tampa Bay Lightning and they'd still give it 70%, you know, just enough effort to win every night <laughs> until the playoffs roll along, right? Like, that's that's a veteran team. It's a totally different circumstance. But, but I do think once you, you know, get to the point where players are saying that wasn't handled right about a player's injury, a, a fellow teammate's injury, you know, then I think you're bumping into problems that are not amplified by a team's results but are are actually pretty existential in terms of the player experience and yeah that's a that's a scary place to be for this organization yeah no question and when a guy like Quinn Hughes who's one of those guys you view as one of your untouchables with everything everyone else available at some point for him to say it um, that makes it even that much harder right I mean you obviously wouldn't want your a leader to say it but it's different if Curtis Lazar pulls that out than if somebody like Quinn Hughes pulls that out because, uh, you, you know, he had a pretty good uh, article with harm uh, late last week talking about his evolution and leadership and how he's going to be here for a while. And he hasn't let all of this get to him. And then you hear that stuff like that would get to a core player like this. And you don't want to be dealing with that right now. You know, um, 
Very much not. Hughes scored his third goal of the season tonight, and uh, he became the fastest Canuck defenseman to 200 points in 242 games. Pretty amazing. Quinn Hughes is pretty amazing. Um, uh, What a game. Like, honestly, this is one of the worst parts about this is he's had a great road trip. Like, I thought he was great in Pittsburgh. I thought he was great tonight. That pass to JT Miller was an absolute beauty. Not just the pass, but the the sidestep, the deke in the neutral zone to, to set up the passing lane. Uh, obviously, a, a wonderful finish, by the way, from Mr. Miller. But, uh, Mr. JT, know, I'm frustrated slamming the door. Miller. Ah, yeah. With, I mean, I like. Are we going to do this every time he gets mad? JT Miller gets No, mad. we can't because then we'd be doing it every game, right? But um, Yeah, we can't. Like JT Miller gets yeah. upset about stuff. And it's it's yeah, not really like there's sometimes there's sometimes where it's a thing and there's sometimes where it's not. You know? Like yeah, that there was to a me play, who was the forward that he got caught behind and couldn't really get to him on the back check, a partial breakaway, great scoring chance which Delia saved. Tell who it was. I want to say it was points. But mm-hmm. uh, that goes in. Now you're going to see some additional frustration because, you know, either way, you know, the bottom line is, look, the fact well, is. Point, point destroyed. Had a... Point destroyed the Canucks in open ice every oh, yeah. time he touched the puck. Um, yeah, I mean, Killorn especially. And, you know, you could, you could tell that John Cooper was making every effort to get that point line up against the Curtis Lazar line. Um, that certainly got to the Canucks on, uh, I want to say, the second goal. Uh, the Kucherov goal, but yeah, it was, you know, there were some moments there where, where they got outclassed and couldn't handle Tampa speed and transition, but you know, we're going to be all over the map on this. So do we want to get into the game? Do we want to get into the micro or the macro right now? Okay. Okay. Let's, you know, this let's stage of the season. The games are almost incidental, but this was another high event game. Let's start with the game and then let's move and then let's zoom out. So, I think we have to be careful about giving the Canucks too much credit for a game in which truly it played out like one of those EPL games between one of the big six and a minnow, you know, or like one of those yo-yo teams where, you know, for 40 minutes, it looked like the Canucks were in it and then they got overpowered. Right. And I felt like there were stages in each period where, like the last five minutes of the first, you know, the last eight minutes of the second, where all of a sudden said Tampa just said, okay, we're going to turn on the gas for a little bit. We're going to tease you. And then that's that. Yeah. Well, and I also wonder, like, I wonder to what extent Lane Peterson with that hit on, I think it was Nemesnikov, right? Sort of woke was, him up yeah. in the first period. Cause it was like after that Tampa's quality showed through. Right. Is that a, um, is that a reviewable hit in your mind? Yes. I yeah, thought I, I was shocked the Canucks didn't end up with a power play off of that. Um, but yeah. that said, I think it's ab- absolutely absurd that Sergeyev didn't end up on a, uh, that the Canucks didn't have a late five on three. They absolutely should have. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't have. argue with it. Connor Garland got popped. At popped. The end. Yeah. Got glove on and everything, but that was a pure sucker so, punch in that moment. So it was. At some point, the Tampa Bay Lightning started playing with their food, right? The moment Braden Point took that puck uh, that, you know, clear lane to the net, could have a clear scoring chance, and instead passes it off to Stamkos trying to get him 500. And with the empty net, right? They're, like, dithering about trying to set up Stamkos for the long-distance shot, right? Like, the moment they started yeah, playing two, with their food. That's but reasonable, though. No, but they did it at... 
they did it at five. Um, they did it with the empty net at five three. Actually, they did it at five four. That was the Stamkos in the neutral zone pass back before the Pedersen goal. Oh, so at five okay. three, five three. Yeah. So th- they've already they've already like surrendered multiple scoring chances, basically trying to feed Stamkos. They're completely playing with their food, and it was honestly the moment the that Braden Point passed off. I went and checked, and it was plus fifteen hundred on um on my gambling app and I was like oh I wish I could bet on hockey like I wish I could bet they're tempting fate and I don't know if the Canucks are going to win but this is going to get interesting and indeed it did um so Tampa Bay overpowered the Canucks over about 50 minutes and then played with their food a little too much the Canucks have enough skill to punish you when you start you know fucking around and Tampa Bay Lightning started the Tampa Bay Lightning started fucking around um, to the point where, you know, I thought Tampa was fortunate to not be on a three on five situation. And I, I mean, for all that, all the good work that they did to clear the zone a couple times and then prevent Brock Besser from entering, uh, prevent Quinn Hughes from getting a clean entry. Uh, boom. All of a sudden they've got a odd man rush situation down low, like an odd, uh, over, uh, outnumbered situation down low. And it's Curtis Lazard. Like, why? Why is Andre Kuzmenko not the guy taking that shot? No kidding. Like, what's he? Uh, that, that was my exact thought. Like, why is he not on the ice? What are we doing here with Curtis Lazar on the ice in that moment? I, I mean, I think the answer has to be that they wanted an extra guy out for the draw. But he's not that good at it. Was he a forty-percent uh, faceoff guy? Well, and you also have J.T. Miller. Like, sure you do. What's, and you have Elias Pettersson. Like, you have three centermen out there anyway. Yeah, it made no um, sense to me. Why not? And, like, what, you want a body down low? You don't have a better net front guy than Andre Kuzmenko. Like, what are we talking about? Um, if you're going to plant someone in front of the net, plant Bo Horvat. He's the guy who's best at selections. Like, those are your guys. Those are your guys down low. Like, it just didn't make sense. It, honestly, and there was I, time. I, it would have counted. Baffling. Just a baffling. Um player deployment decision like the wrong guys on the on the ice at the wrong time in that moment and so i suppose we could analyze that but fundamentally it didn't really matter like the 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 tampa bay lightning are obviously in a totally different class they didn't even take the canucks very seriously and it was only once the tampa bay lightning started playing with their food that the canucks got their you know got back into the game and no but look look before we we i don't want to dismiss it that easily and look I'm not going to sit here and give this team a ton of credit, but the number of times throughout this season where we've gone through this exercise and there's been nothing in the third, zero pushback at all. They've needed goals. They've needed scoring chances. They need to skate. They need to give a damn. And the give a damn meter around this team in those moments, most of the time this year, hasn't been that high. So well, I thought the give a damn meter, I thought the give a damn meter ran high all night, to be totally honest with you. Like, this was I'm a, with, I'm with this you, was a we solid, discussion decent performance. And it happens more at home. It but, like, what, what, why are you, why are you, why are you falling over yourself to give them tri-league? I'm not falling over yourself. Credit. I'm just saying we can't, we can't just completely dismiss it. Like, because they, because it was all Tampa falling asleep. And there was some of that, but we have seen. No, it was all that. Cruise it control. was all that. But, yeah, but even with that, we've seen them still not try still not generate, still like, <laughs> mail it in and shut the door, right? Even with teams sure. that haven't tried. So, look, I, I want to give them a little bit because we generally don't give them anything. Uh, there's a lot on the, There's a lot about this team to dislike. 
But the work rate, I just don't think we need to give them credit for making the score 5-4. Like, why don't we give them credit for the way they started? Like, they were the better team for the first half of the first. Uh, Because they they found a way to tie the game. They start well. Yeah, but uh, one nothing nothing isn't like a blown lead. Like, you you score the first goal, you you know, whatever. That doesn't matter in the the NHL these days anyway. The, um, you know, I always say, I always say, I don't care about the first goal. I care about the next goal. That's always my viewpoint on hockey, um, especially in a contemporary NHL where the scoring has gone wild. Um, but but all of this said, all of this said, I thought the Canucks' work rate was high today. Uh, Tyler Myers had a had a monster first period. I thought he had a solid game all, overall. Uh, I liked a lot of what I saw from a lot of different players on the Canucks. I thought they battled hard. I just thought they were completely and predictably outclassed. They had no answer for Braden Point off the rush. They had no answer for the Tampa Bay Lightning power play. And whenever the Lightning decided that they needed to crank it up a bit, um, you know, that was it. That was, that was, there was, it was clear that one team's the class of the league and one team very much is not. Yeah, I know. There's no doubt. And I mean, there's, there's been, mis- there were mismatches at various points of it all night. And, you know, I, I thought when Rujo tried to get the Pedersen line out against, Tampa's top line. I thought they held their own and, and did a good job, but Cooper generally was able to get the matchup he wanted, and the Canucks at that point were hooped, and certainly that top line plays at a different pace and a different level than the Canucks, and you know, the, the lack of depth in the back end also showed at a number of different times, and you lose Travis Dermott in this game, and then you get into a five-on-three situation with both Shen and Myers in the box, like that's not going to end well, even though they almost got through it. They, I think the goal came with, actually no, let me take that back. It was the first power play that went down to five seconds left before they scored the goal. But um, over the course of this show, first of all, we should let everybody know we are going to do live rooms for the next couple of weeks. Um, the last one I think is going to be not necessarily after we may, we may do a couple that are on non game nights and we'll be looking at guests and, and other formats and things like that. Uh, also later on in this show, Drancher and I are going to have our first round playoff pick super wild card weekend in the NFL. We've got a pick. Oh, Farhan, we've lost you. That's okay. Farhan was just getting excited because of... Sorry, we lost you for a second there, Farhan. Go ahead. We lost you just when you were beginning to talk about football and getting excited. Well, that you, see, you can't do that. So I was all I was saying was that we are going to, before the end of the show, make our, hockey, make our football picks for Super Wild Card Weekend this weekend, uh, which will begin with the Seahawks in San Francisco and will end with the Dallas Cowboys in Tampa Bay on Monday night. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But look, let's stick to hockey and talk about this from the 10,000-foot view perspective of what I said early on was a pretty high event day for the Canucks. And starting with Oliver ekman Larson being a healthy scratch, and as you pointed out, deservedly so, right? Like his play, if, if there was no contract at stake, it probably would have happened by now. But it, it didn't. And to me, the bigger indictment is you're going to put Riley Stillman in the lineup. And Riley Stillman is not a great hockey player on any level. However, Oliver Eggman Larson hasn't been playing well. And this decision is a seismic one. I mean, you talk about accountability and we've seen it with Connor Garland. We've seen it with Brock Besser, but Oliver Eggman Larson at seven plus million who wears an A on his Jersey being sat down tonight is a massive, massive statement. What, what, what do you make of the fact they actually went down that road? I think it had to happen. 
Like the the part of this that's concerning isn't that he got scratched, it's that the scratch was not just warranted, but overdue. Yeah, I can't argue. You know, and I mean, like I heard, I th- I don't know, if, I don't remember if it was the intermission panel or on the broadcast tonight, but the comment was made on the broadcast this evening that you could have sat down Myers or Oliver Ekman Larson. And I actually think there's a material difference between the two. You know, like I think Myers has more utility by a fair bit than, than OEL at this stage. Like OEL's mobility has been so limited and it's just like little things that really add up to creating an environment that's that much tougher for your teammates. Um, you know, a little bobble, um, a, a little bit of backing off where you could create some pressure or, or, or generate some stress on your attack attacker. Um, it just looks like he's behind constantly, just like, a, a, a you know, a penny short and a second late all over the ice. And, you know, when you're a defenseman and you're playing like that, it just makes it so much harder for your teammates to, you know, take advantage of environment where your club's more likely to get the next one. Yeah. And I just see such hesitation in his game as a result of his mobility that there are times when he just plays paralyzed, right? As a, like, it's one thing to be a step behind, but it's another thing to be freaked out about being a step behind and not knowing what to do next. And that's what I'm mm. seeing in his game. Whereas last year, you know, you could see that there was a bit of a bounce back in his game and, you know, like when he and Myers run, I know later in the season it wasn't this way, but for the for a, a large percentage of the season, you know, we, we did see um, a better version of Ekman Larson than we saw the last couple of years in Arizona. So, but looking at him now, and, and you get the sense that this, in training camp, he knew there was hesitation that he was playing with. And, you know, you, you have that with a guy like Tyler Myers, whose decision-making we constantly question, that's a toxic mix. It's really tough. It's really tough. And, and that pair needs to be split, you know, even when, sorry, um, the, so sorry, we've got a comment. Sawyer M says, please be careful on how that wasn't handled properly. It's taken. Few people are as ready as me to slam this joke of an organization. Um, but he could have just as easily meant that a surgery didn't go the way it was meant to. I mean, we're talking about three procedures, first of all. And as I understand it, the question was asked by Patrick Johnston, and it was a throwaway question, just about how guys were feeling about the end of his season, and Hughes offered it up. I, I think there's something there, very much. So. I agree. Yeah, I don't think that. So, I don't think that there this isn't surgery. This details. isn't no. This isn't the drama machine cranking up. You know, despite what and, Ke- despite and, what Kevin Epp told the media uh, told Rick Dollywall today. Oh, I missed that. That was that was. I think that was an old retweet, bud. Are you sure? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Okay, it could it could have been. Uh, I'd I'd have to check with Rick, but I yeah, and I like Kevin a lot. But that was uh, the classic eye roll for me, just because you've got to be kidding. Like one day, go like go to a Montreal Canadiens practice, even on the road and see the volume of coverage they get and how intensely that team is covered and then talk about connect negativity. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think the, so sorry, the, um, 
yeah, the Kevin Epp thing, just to confirm it, was from his storied appearance this past summer, rather than from, okay. like, people just started retweeting it again, because, I don't know, like, I don't honestly know, I well, think it was, Rick, I, tweet, Rick tweeted it now, so, I guess there was, no, 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 yeah, it got, it, it might have been from the present, it got retweeted, like, widely, a, a Rick transcription from the time, because you know Rick likes to mix it up, he's just, nothing, nothing makes oh, Rick yeah, yeah. happier than a hot, than someone in the hockey industry slamming the media environment in Vancouver. Like, I don't know why he loves it so much, but he loves it he so love much. It. Because he thinks he lo- he's not a part of it because he's so connected to the agents. He he likes it more than I like $10 words. That's how much he likes it. He likes it more That's than he fair. likes Crown Royal. He likes it more Ooh. than you like football. Oh, yeah, you could, right. could be right, which says a lot. It says a lot. So anyway, um, Okay, so we've talked Fundament- about the game. Fundamentally. Sorry, yeah, fund- no, no, that's not good. Fundamentally. Um, we've talked about the game. Let's zoom out. The Canucks are now winless on this road trip. And more than that, you know, the 12-game stretch. Like, they win against San Jose after Christmas. And then there was that 12-game stretch that loomed large in the organization's imagination where, where they'd sort of begin to make some tough decisions about exactly where this team is. Um, you know, that, that stretch lost began their, in lost six yeah, of their last lost seven after the three game win streak. And they are on pace for 74 points. They're exactly at the halfway oh. mark of the season sitting at 37. Oh. It's insane. Well, and scouting meetings are occurring in Florida this week and it's going to be fascinating to see what comes out of that because, you know, it's one thing in my mind for the organization to still be focused on trying to be competitive next year. But it's another to miss this opportunity, given how poorly this team has played, to at least try to bottom out as best as you can this year. Even if it's just a one-year low. Boy, it feels I mean, like they're trying. I mean, you're trying. here. The win-loss record, when you're talking 74 points, strands, you're like, here we are, bud. You're here. You've arrived here. You know, we're, we're not talking about years and years of pain. We're talking about a few more months worth of losing. I mean, you know, for me, anyway, it should be an absolute no-brainer. And, and you'd hope that they'd come out of, like, look, I don't even believe that this one year of pain will suffice, right? Like, I think this is a multi-year rebuild. I think that's baked in. I, I see no other way, frankly, Farhan. Like, I think this is one of those rare moments where there's like absolute clarity, you know, like there is no way with the cap potentially being flat or going up just a little bit next season for this team to dramatically turn itself around, given the state of their blue line, given the state of their center depth, giving the, given the need to extend Horvat and Kuzmenko, like is there any way this team competes? Here's the thing. If your logic is we need to be competitive next year, then how are you going to do that without Bo Horvat? Am am I, am I off my rocker here? I don't understand how anyone thinks this team can replace Bo Horvat with any level of ease. This is a top 10 rate score at five on five and far and away their best matchup centerman far and away. Not not close this year, based on Patterson's defensive results and how Miller has struggled at center. I, 
if you're if you're committed to being competitive next year and fixing this short term, like logically it follows. This isn't me reporting anything, but logically it follows that step one is keep Horvat. And and if you're losing a player of that quality, I mean that you're taking a step back. Like I don't know, I don't know how else to see. I don't know how else to see that or caption that or explain that. Like, how do you replace Bo Horvat affordably and overhaul a blue line and replace Kuzmenko and or, uh, you know, make some really tough moves to, to fit his contract in under the book? Like, I just don't see it. I don't see a path. I, it's not even just that I don't see, like, I'm not, it's not just that I'm skeptical. Like, I don't see the path to make it happen at all. Well, they sound like they're going to take one more run at at a Horvat deal, which sounds crazy. Um, you almost wonder why you'd even bother at this stage because you know what the numbers are going to start with, and you know what they can't afford. Um, you know, and and Kuzmenko, again, like they even talked about it at the beginning of the season. Yeah, they you know they hoped that everything worked out and they'd signed him, but they also viewed him as well chip. And when you get a guy that's playing at the level that he's been playing at, you know, on a contract that's paying him under a million dollars a year. And you can move that like that should have big value to teams on a playoff drive. For sure. Well, it, I mean, additionally, like, I don't know if you read my column today. I don't expect you to track my columns very closely, Farhan. Uh, now the, the, JT Miller one week. I, the, the JT Miller one I did. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if Miller is a wing, you're going to have almost 30 million committed to wingers next season. Like, can you make that 34? Can you make it 34 million? If the cap only goes up to 85, like, can you have 40% of your cap locked into wingers in the contemporary NHL? Can you win like that? Can you win like that with Bo Horvat walking? Can you win like that with Bo Horvat walking and Tyler Myers as your only right-handed defenseman under contract? Well, that's the point is that you can't can't pay that much. You can't pay that much to wingers when there's no one to get them the puck. No, no. And so it sort of comes down to this, like, there's nothing noble about de- denying reality, right? There can be no quick fix when the problem is searching fruitlessly for quick fixes. Like hope isn't a strategy. Just stop digging. At least that's my view of it. But all of that said, all of that said, at the very least, you've got this once in a lifetime opportunity ahead of you to juke your lottery odds with a generational prospect from this city who happens to be a major fan of this team. And all you have to do is not interrupt a losing team while it's losing. Like, don't fire the coach. You know, make make the trades you can as quickly as you can. Someone has a nagging injury, shut them down. Like, you know, this is simple stuff. What, what's yeah, the argument Demko's against inter- it? Demko's an interesting one right now. Right, like if they're talking about trying to get him back, why? And not that he was great this season prior to the injury, but bigger picture, why? Give him an extra two, three weeks, right? Bring yeah. him back slowly. Make sure he's a thousand percent healthy. And if you know, whatever, if after the All Star break he, you know, plays well, but you still wind up losing games, like that's awesome. But you know, there's a player right now that why would you accelerate? Yeah, I know. I, I mean, well, first of all, I 
don't think they will. Um, I don't think they will. Like, he's not playing on this road trip, right? Correct. So that tells you something right there. Like, uh, six. it was a six-week injury. That six weeks will lapse at some point this weekend. And, you know, the Canucks aren't rushing to, to bring him back. So that speaks volumes, no? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would think so. I, look, at the at the end of the day, I don't think he's close to ready. And I think that Bruce Boudreau is aware of that, right? So I don't think we're at the point yet where we think they're making the right decisions. Right now, we're still at recovery phase. So, you know, he's not ready. He hasn't skated long enough. He's been off too long to responsibly try to drop him into the lineup with three practices under his belt. When you look at the off days on this trip, the Canucks had three of them. They're going to have two practices in those three days. Like, that's not enough, even with extra time on game days where he can get work with Ian Clark and, and strength staff. Like that's just, it's just not enough time. Even if, even if you were in a rush and thought you were in a playoff race, but we're going to find out when they get home, because that'll be the time when, you know, the push is there to happen. Right. So I don't think, um, yeah, like it remains to be seen to me. I'm not willing to say, Hey, good job. You're, you're doing the right thing with that. Jodemko. I just don't think they're at the choice stage yet. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Tanner Pearson, they, you know, it sort of felt like they were trying to push him along a little bit. So I'm curious to find out some clarity. I'm sure Quinn Hughes at some point is going to walk his comments back, but I don't know if we can get clarity out of the agent or something in terms of what caused this setback. Why is this a third surgery for Tanner Pearson? He's a player that wasn't playing well before he got injured. Would have been an easy player to just keep on the shelf for a long time, try to maximize the LTI uh, benefit. But, you know, knowing the Canucks, they would have tried to bring him back just because He's a player the head coach has trust in. Um, Travis Dermott now. Uh, did we, you know, uh, Travis Dermott got uh, re-injured in this game. We don't know if it's got anything to do with what he was dealing with before, but he didn't finish the game. So curious to see where where that goes, uh, whether or not, you know, that's going to mean uh, Ekman Larson getting back in, whether it means we see Burroughs back again. But they are going to have some of these interesting decisions around this team here in the weeks ahead, in the games ahead, not even weeks. Most definitely they are. And so, you know, we'll we'll see exactly where this goes in terms of in terms of how they approach things coming out of these meetings. And you know, one thing that sort of looms large in my mind is it's been a while since we heard from Canucks management, and I sort of wonder if we're going to you know, if this road trip really goes over, like if you make a coaching change and then move from that to 
talking to the fans and explaining your plan between now and the deadline, right? And maybe orchestrating like a little one-year sell-off and a little one-year tank job and, or, or, or not, or not, or you keep raging against the dying of the light, light, but in some way, at least, you know, do your best to message to the fan base and, and explain what your approach is going to be here. Um, while, while replacing the coach, you know, it feels like a natural time to do it would be coming back from this road trip. And so, uh, you know, I think this is all hands on deck over the weekend, particularly if they, you know, only win one or if they go over the whole way. What do you think? Like, so number one, we're at the midway point of the season. That's a logical point for management to address the fan base, right? Um, yeah. When they come back, you're right. It makes a lot of sense if for no other reason, just the symmetry of an 82 game schedule. Um, Jim Rutherford had some interesting comments in an article with the Pittsburgh uh, Post Gazette a couple of days ago. Um, mm. Now that hasn't talk that doesn't talk about the micro from the current season. But in terms of his personal big picture approach, and and also I think the fans that have uh, had a chance to digest some of that uh, material, you know, the context obviously is that he's talking to someone from Pittsburgh and is certainly, I don't want to say pandering, but it's important for him to make the right type of impression to that market in that on that platform. So it certainly sounds like a guy that is feeling the stress of the job. It's certainly sounding like a guy that underestimated the gravity and difficulty of the job um, before Bruce Boot, because that also is part of the reason why Bruce potentially, not Bruce, sorry, Jim Rutherford should potentially be talking to the media because there, there's going to be some questions stemming from that article in terms of his long-term commitment to this organization. So, you know, what do we take from that? And whether or not it leads us to further dialogue with the GM and what the likelihood of that is in light of all of it. Well, you know, one thing I do think got lost in the public reaction to that article was, you know, I think Jim's comments about, you know, I, I should have retired in Pittsburgh. I don't think that was about Vancouver. I think that was about how things ended where, sure. you know, in the wake of, the COVID disruption and how that played out internally with the Penguins organization. Like if things had gone a little bit better toward the end of that run, you know, perhaps uh, he would have been able to sail off into the sunset, not, you know, when he left, but like on his own terms now or a year from now or two years from now, right. That he would still have been managing the team all this time. That's sort of what I took from that piece in particular. And, and so, you know, I don't know that we've like, I don't know that um, I'm sure he is feeling the stress. How wouldn't you be like, I don't think this is fun at all for anybody and nor should it be right. This is, this has gone terribly, you know, <laughs> like this is a 90th percentile bad outcome for the franchise, you know, from the Demko injury, Demko struggles early in the season, how this is all played out. It, it, you know, the, the way that the Miller deal looks today, the way that the Horvat decision looks, uh, how OEL has, a, you know, aged or played. I mean, how you Bruce know, has been handled. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I might be the most negative commentator in this market and there's nothing I was saying in content. You know, I was expressing my skepticism. My vibe is skeptical about this organization's ability to win in the contemporary NHL. 
but there was no nothing content-wise in, in sort of how I was handicapping the Canucks' chances this season that would account for this. No. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you know, even the, the biggest critic would have expected something a lot closer than what we're seeing right now. Absolutely. So, But like I said, for me, I, you know, the one thing is, is that I think Jim Rutherford had so much confidence in himself and his own ability to navigate all of this. I don't think he properly, you know, he's not, he's never done this in a post pandemic era. He's never done this in a flat cap era where, you know, 16 of 21 or sorry, uh, all but five teams in the NHL right now are up against the cap. You know what I mean? Like when he's gone through this before and tried to build, even in a cap environment, there's been more room. There's been more teams at different ends of the spectrum. He's never had to go through it this way. I know he has been extremely flabbergasted with how long this has taken. And not that he was all of a sudden going to turn it around in one off season, but I think the expectation was that he could at least get a right-handed defenseman, right? Like they haven't been able to do anything of substance to this point. They've or, nibbled around the edges of the roster. I mean, maybe you say McCann's yeah. of substance only because of what they're paying him, right? And yeah, you signed JT Miller and that contract is of substance, but that wasn't a player acquisition. That was a decision to be made when you couldn't get something done with Horvat. You pivoted and turned back and went to JT Miller, um, you know, as opposed to fundamentally trying to improve the roster. They haven't been able to really, really do that yet. No, no. It, it, I mean, that's one of the most. Like when he first showed up, we, when he first showed up, we talked, we gave him pats on the back for acquiring Travis Dermott and trading away Travis Hamannick. Well, I don't know. We gave him pats on the back more for the Hammonick trade than the Dermot trade. At least. Well, but they were both at least the way. Moves. Well, no, no. Shedding Hammonick is huge. A shedding Hammonick and getting a return is great. It's just that, you know, trading that future pick for, for Dermot, you know, especially in the wake of the Stillman and Bear deals, right? It feels like, you know, sort of part and parcel with what's become an approach, which is changing up depth pieces that don't move the middle. And doing it at the expense of, you know, at this point now, Myrenberg, uh, a fifth, a second, a third, and some cap flexibility for Jason Dickinson. I mean, you know, not ideal. Not ideal in, in the big picture, given, you know, how far away I see this team being from being able to, like, compete with a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, in, in a meaningful sense. Not in a, not in a, you know, make the game close once Tampa Bay starts playing a totally different game because they want Stamkos to get 500, you know, like, come on. So no, I, and that's sort of the, the big picture here is the sense I have and my, my, at this point, you know, I still talk to fans and stuff when, when I encounter them here and there. And I know there's people that disagree with me, but I mean, the sense I get honestly is that there's not a lot of faith in this team's ability or like that the building blocks of this team can be, you know, the building blocks of a great team without significant surgery and probably time. Like it feels when I talk to Canucks fans online or in various online spaces, that people kind of know the score, you know, that it feels like this market's just begging for this team to take the long view. And it feels like we're just not going to get that. 
Yeah, no, look, I, I think the fans are ready for it. And I just, I think what the fans want is clarity. They just want some semblance of a plan and want to have an idea as to what the plan is, you know, and not that anybody can give you move by move. This is what we're going to do because you need partners to make that happen. But just a, an understanding of intent. And none of that is out there. And that's why they need to step forward at the midway point of the season, which we're at now, and say, look, the first half of the season did not go the way we planned. We did not intend to rebuild. But the situation has us here where we need to look logically at this right now. I like, But I just don't know that they would ever do that. First of all, it can't be Patrick Alvin because he's just he's a more polished version of um, Jim Benning. But at the end of the day, he still doesn't say anything. At least, you know, I think it should be Jim Rutherford. Um, he's more equipped in, to answer in the way we expect answers. But they need to come out and, and provide some clarity to the marketplace. We're sitting here on pace for 74 points. Here's what we're going to do. We're closer to the number one overall pick in the draft than we are to making the playoffs. Here's what we're going to do. And I, I think fans would appreciate that. I think the criticism that this team gets on a nightly basis would be neutered significantly if they stepped forward and said, here's what we're planning to do, and it doesn't involve immediate moves or improvements for the now. Oh, well, that would be, yeah. I mean, that would be massively applauded, but it just doesn't feel like we're going to get that. I'm still going to advocate for it in every move they do because there is a better way to do this. <laughs> like There really is. And, you know, I know it's only a matter of time before I start to get the, like, you think you know better than a three-time Stanley, three Stanley Cup winning uh, champion GM? And it's like, no, no yeah, I don't think I know, again, like, I don't like, think I know like hockey said. better. But at some point, at some point, like, at some point, we know what doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like, we've all... Yeah, no, it's true. It, this, this might be new to Rutherford, but we've been here for 10 years. And, you know, in <laughs> the in NHL... My case, 28. In the NHL, success is fleeting and failure is fleeting. The only thing constant is that if you are always looking for the shortcuts, you're never going to go anywhere. That's the only thing we know. Well, and you make when I'm, this group like, came here, that the, was the goal. When this group yeah. came here, that was the goal. Do it quick. Do it quick. Well, of course. Minor Otherwise, surgery. they wouldn't be here. Well, that is uh, true. You know, like, let's be real. And so, you know. At some point, again, there is clarity about what's needed. There's clarity about the path ahead. And, you know, it's the, like the, there's consensus in the city about what that path looks like. The only people not on board, however, are the decision makers themselves. It's tragic. Like, we're at the point where this is just tragic you know or 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 no it's not it was tragic when they did when they failed to rebuild under jim benning and sort of chose benning over trevor linden um completely duffed the transition from a post-sedine era that was tragic this is just farce this because we've seen the movie before but now we're doing it again and no one even has the appetite to like litigate this like it's serious everyone just kind of well, knows this is hopeless you're you're right but what about the fact that, you know, I think when they hired Jim Benning and made the decisions a year ago, have they been given enough 
runway. Because I, I believe that everybody was just so excited in that moment that Jim was finally gone. And here's somebody with some chops, someone who's done this before and knows what he's doing. There was a lot of goodwill. I kind of thought he'd have a little more equity, but I think that the current off season of inactivity or at least inactivity in the area of untangling the contractual mess, right? Like they, they were active, but it just felt like they doubled down on the problem and couldn't extricate themselves from any of it. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like we're at gym all over again, that they just kind of put their hands up and said, well, we're kind of going day by day. And I'm not suggesting that they're going day by day, but it certainly feels like that in terms of direction. So I, I just kind of feel that like if you're Jim Benning and you're Patrick Alvin, you're, they're thinking, holy shit. Like we haven't even been here a year and we're getting crucified. Right. Whereas how long did it take us to go down that road with, with Jim, with Benning? You know what I mean? But there, it almost feels like they're becoming a continuance in terms of the public's perception of it all, just because they've made some similar moves. Right. And when I say that it's two sizable contracts and a short-term decision on the Dickinson deal it almost feels like we're feeling the same patterns that we had under the previous management regime and any goodwill and equity that we thought maybe this group could bring or receive has gone out the window in less than 12 months. Yeah. The seat's hot now. No question about it. Right. But, like, but is that fair to them? That's my point. Is it of fair course. to them? Of course. Why would it not be fair to them? Because it took a long time for the last management team to get to that point. So should we be giving them more time? Should we be giving them more slack? Give them two off seasons or what have you to just see what they're actually equipped to do. I mean, patience is a powerful weapon. If you're taking a long view, you can't be patient about a team that's stated goal is to compete now. You see what I'm saying? Like if you want patience, you need to be making moves that will take a while to judge and adjudicate. You know, if if you want patience, you don't sign a $4.75 million forward on day one of free agency. Even though McKay has been productive for this team, like, it's not about him. It's about the move to do it. Because that's a signal of intent, right? If you want patience, you don't extend the 99-point center only for him to prove pretty unequivocally that he's actually a full-time wing if you're going to get full value out of that deal. Like, you can't trade a second and a fifth and a third-round pick for the benefit of this team and then say patience is needed, right? Like, patience, again, is a powerful tool, a powerful weapon in, in the arsenal of hockey managers. But... It's also earned from a fan base based on what your moves signal. And Vancouver's moves has signaled consistently and their public commentary that like the expectations were that they should be a playoff team this year and not just chasing a wild card spot, but chasing a top three spot in the Pacific. That was the goal. That's what their moves were in service of. And if you fall that far short on a goal that's, being judged like that we can we can judge now that that hasn't worked 
So how how do you then say they deserve patience? You know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like, well, the previous it, does, it regime, doesn't work like that. The, yeah, but the previous regime it did work for them. They did get well, a certain level of patience, and their moves never signaled otherwise. They well, never get it, the language right to begin with. The Louis Erickson deal happened very early in the process that didn't signal any level of rebuild. So they didn't get a little bit of patience, right? I mean, we probably gave a little bit more when Trevor was there versus when he was ousted because the thought was he was ousted because there was a shorter path. This, Yeah. Yeah. But Jim, Jim Benning and company, and especially with like the empty cupboards thing and on and on, you know, they lobbied for patience actively. They pitched it. I'd argue that they gaslit an entire city to achieve it. And, you know, it was given in some quarters and, and less so in others. But I also think the patience extended to the Rutherford group is lesser as a result of the fact that we've been through this before. Like, we all recognize, I think, that Rutherford inherited a, a mess. And that it was unrealistic to expect it to be cleaned up overnight. And I think if the changes were significant, even if the pace of them were, was slow, but the overall direction was trending toward major change, I think they'd be extended a, an abundance of patience. Like, I really think this market is ready to buy into a slow cook, a slow cook build. The thing is, is that that's not what their actions or their words have signaled they want to do. This market's begging for it. So yeah, it's, it's almost dead, like, you know, honestly, like it, honestly, it's not about it's not about being impatient with this new management group one year in. It's pleading for their patience. That's really well, what's happening. And that's where and that's where the frustration that I sense anyway from the fan base seems to be derived from. Could we ever have expected patience from Jim Rutherford, given his age? Well, I, like, I know he wants to leave the franchise uh, better than he found it. But, like, the guy's in his, he's almost in his mid-70s now. Like, th he is not long for this job. He is not long for a long rebuild. He's going to believe he can flip the script in two seasons. Is age not a number, though, like, especially in Rutherford's case? Like, we're talking about a tech-savvy guy, high energy, golfs, you know, well, <laughs> well and regularly. Like, you know, come on. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, like, I think what happened to him during COVID in Pittsburgh took something out of him. Like, I don't think he came here for a five-year plan, right? For him, it was going to be a two- to three-year window max. Max. Yeah, which is, I mean, but a two to three year window, like you could leave this franchise in, in phenomenal shape if you spent two or three focused years cleaning up some of the mess. Yeah, you, you could, but you wouldn't be there to see it through at the end because it does take a little bit longer than that. Like, I'm curious to see how this thing's going to play out in the end, because when he decides to walk away and that's going to be sooner than later. Like, what does the organization do at that point, right? Do they bring in another president that's going to keep Patrick Alvine and have the same vision and plan? Does the ownership come back in and decide they're going to be meddlesome and not want to have that buffer between them and management? Like, it, I don't know. The whole thing just, 
and we're getting way now we're not at 10,000 feet anymore. We're, we're at about 50, but it certainly seems that, um, this could look so different when it was supposed to have some level of stability and consistency. You know, you get a situation where Rutherford realizes this is crazy. I can't do this. It's going to take way too long. Um, you know, I'm going to retire and focus on myself at this age, which you certainly couldn't blame him for. You know, he's got a Hall of Fame resume as it is, right? I heard your comment on uh, Canucks Hour the other day saying, look, if he wins in the flat cap era, a third cup with a third franchise in Canada, you you know, he becomes the, the gold standard of GMs in the modern era. It's like, I think what you said was him and Sam Pollock, full stop. And I don't know that he's concerned with that level of legacy, but uh, no, I don't think he is. I don't think he is, but yeah, look, I, I don't want to psychoanalyze it's gonna look real different and, and, in two years. It's, it's going to look significantly yeah. different in two well, years. And I don't want to, I don't want to psychoanalyze Jim's priorities and I don't want to assume that Jim's age is going to impact his decision-making, you know, like, yeah, but it's I've not learned... only that when you, he, he's also done a lot. Right. You know what I mean? Like there is a level of satisfaction in his accomplishment already that, yeah, it'd be nice. I remember when Brian Burke went to Toronto and talked about it, you know, being the Vatican, which I guess at that, at that point meant he was the Pope, but he, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I don't know that that's that critical to him about what it would do for him to win here. And again, you're right. We shouldn't be psychoanalyzing Jim, but having talked to him personally and knowing those close to him when he took the job, I don't think he ever anticipated he was going to be here for a long, long time. I think there was a confidence and a conviction he had in his own ability and thought this was going to be able to happen fast. And it hasn't. And he himself has been surprised with how the simplest of moves have been unattainable, how he couldn't get a JT Miller deal done, how he couldn't get the right side of the defenseman, even the first step towards improvement, how he couldn't clear even one meaningful salary off the cap like no significant moves that needed to happen have happened all that's happened the significant moves have been doubling down yeah look it's a constipated league at the moment and it's a very very cruel one it is hard it is hard to win in this league and the gulf in talent between this team and the good teams in this league is mammoth. Mammoth. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Are we going to take any, uh, we're about an hour yeah, yeah, into yeah. this version of the live room. 
Uh, if we, if, if you would like to weigh in, we'd love to hear from you, right? So get on stage and we will bring you in. I know we haven't promoted that, so we, we don't have a lot there. So if you want to get on now, this is the time to do that. Drancer will bring you in. And then before we go, we want to have some fun with, uh, with our NFL playoff picks as well. And certainly we'll take yours if you uh, want to bring those in the chat room as well. But um, a few more minutes here on the VanCast live room. And again, we're going to do this every week now. Uh, it won't necessarily be post-game. Uh, because that may not necessarily lend itself to just our schedule because we do want to spread these out from the regular van cast, which Charm and I do every Monday. But uh, yeah, if you want to get in and, and Wayne, we'd love to hear from our VIPs because they're the best. They are the best. So if you raise your hand in the next nine minutes, let's say by 8.15, we'll, we'll guarantee we'll take your question. All right. Here's uh, Jakob W. first up to the stage. I hope. Hey guys. Hey, hey Jakob, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for taking my call here, Drancer and uh, Farhan. I appreciate it. Um, so I have a few things to chit chat about. Um, the, the major thing I'm I'm just kind of trying to just go through in my head is like Jim Rutherford. He comes into this Vancouver Canucks, you know, organization and. This is a guy who has won in the past multiple, multiple times. And a lot of people I thought, and including myself, that he would come in and he would have full control. I'm not, obviously, I don't, I'm not behind the scenes. I don't know what ownership is doing, but it doesn't it seem weird that a guy like Jim can't go and wheel and deal like he could have done before. Like, it's just, it's just very odd to me. And you're like, they, they obviously wanted to go with this, you know, make the, playoffs have a chance type you know not rebuild retool i guess and clearly it's not working so i think now they need to sit down i don't they have they had their scouting meetings they need to sit down and be like guys we tried it didn't work we're not even close what do we do well guess what we need to do a proper plan for a rebuild go on trade some of these players like horvat Trade some of these players like Kuzmenko. Those are two easy first-round picks plus. Like, th- those aren't hard trades to make. When I hear that, it just drives me nuts. One of my biggest pet peeves when I hear about hard trades to make. Those aren't one. Those aren't two of them. And just have a plan moving forward. That's all I'm asking for as a fan. Because I went to the Canucks game. I went to that New York Islanders game where we got shelled. And guess what? I actually had a good time because the in-arena entertainment was actually pretty good this year. It's so, really good. And and so like that's all I really gotta say, guys. I, I appreciate the show. I, I listen to you guys regularly and uh, keep up the great work. And I'm curious, curious what you guys have to say about what I said. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks Jacob. Yeah, I mean, look, the tra- the traits that are easy are Kuzmenko and and Shen, and those are the ones that you know the Canucks are getting the most calls on. No surprise. Uh, a Horvat deal is a little bit tricky just because everyone's in a flat cap environment. And this is sort of the thing that I, I just note is Occam's razor. Um, you know, I think the biggest cap hit traded all season. In fact, I think Jim's already traded the two biggest cap hits traded in season all year, right? Dickinson and then acquiring bear. And in both cases, it's like they needed to take back a salary to make the Dickinson deal work, right? They needed to, to uh, have Carolina retain and take back a one-way contract for Lane Peterson in order to make the bear trade work. And those are two and a half million dollar deals. Like, you know, I don't think, I don't think you need to assume that Jim's hands are tied. 
You can just look around the league and look at the lack of movement and look at the quality of players clearing waivers and look at the acquisition cost of Oliver Bjorkstrand and look at the acquisition cost of John Marino and begin to understand just how difficult it is to move money in this environment. That's the, that's the explanation for why the Canucks have been more stagnant than they'd like to be. I, I don't think it's more complicated. Than yeah, and I think it'll get a little bit easier as we get closer to the deadline when it financially costs teams a little bit less. But the other side of the Horvat deal is teams wanting some clarity on what it will cost to keep him. Because, you know, I, I don't know that anybody wants to really view him as a rental. I think they want to believe they've got the opportunity to sign him if they're going to give up significant assets. And, you know, I read in uh, LeBron's column, they're getting a lot of calls on Besser now that that is starting to increase. But, you know, that's a, a deal that's tricky to make because he's got two years left on his deal. Uh, same with Connor Garland, who I'm sure is another player they'd be happy to move. He's got term left on his deal. So, you know, and you don't want to get into the scenario where you're making hockey trades, right? Like you don't want to bring an equal salary back with equal term back, right? That Yeah, you'd eat it for the rest of the season, but you don't want to go through that exercise for anything beyond this. But, you know, this is this is the environment you live in, and this is what separates what Jim Rutherford's doing now from what he had done at his previous stops because we th- he wasn't dealing in a flat cap environment, both in Pittsburgh and in Carolina. Sawyer M, by the way, in the chat asks, what are some reasonable moves that you make, including buyouts, to begin the team moving in the right direction? For me, for me, Kuzmenko, Shen, Horvat, full sweep, right? All, all yep. for all for future oriented deals. I don't I don't want young players who are close to contributing at the NHL level. Pure futures. I want all draft picks scattered between 2023. Obviously, Kuzmenko and Horvat, you want first rounders in 2023 for, and then and then 2024, 2025 even. Um, you know, I, I think this team desperately needs to make something like 30 draft picks over the next three years if you're going to begin to rebuild this prospect system. The best teams at drafting aren't the teams that evaluate best, they're the teams that pick the most. And so be one of the teams that picks the most accumulate a ton of picks, trade down with some of them, accumulate more picks, like go about making 30 plus picks over the next three draft cycles. To me, that's step one and trading players off the roster helps you achieve that. You know, if someone wants to give you a late rounder for Kyle Burroughs, sorry, Kyle, we, we like you, but bye. If you got to retain on a deal or two, uh, you know, even a Riley Stillman, Riley Stillman for 650K, anybody, anybody going once, going twice. Um, you do that deal. Go about getting as many draft picks as you can before March 3rd. And then, you know, I think you should be avoiding buyouts for the most part. Like if you are really launching a detailed, all in, big market, take on toxic money to get future assets style rebuild, then I'd consider an OEL buyout because you get so much cap relief in the first two years. And I think you could make a lot of hay before the cap begins to rise with that cap space, um, you know, doing things like the Montreal Canadiens, Sean Monaghan deal with Calgary. Uh, you know, I I'd do that if this team was like all in on rebuilding, but I don't think they're going to be. So I think you just avoid buyouts, avoid dead money, hitting your books, um, create opportunities, try everything you can to rebuild everybody on the roster. Who's distressed in terms of their values um, market value, right? Garland, PP1, Besser, PP1, um, you know, like figure it out. You, you slowly, like if you're beginning to rebuild, then patience is your weapon, right? You can hurdle bad contracts. You can, you know, manage and sell high or at the best possible point 
on some of the on some of the value list contracts that this team has on the books. You don't have to rush to sort of more efficiently allocate your money. You can take it easy and and try to find the right deals for you. Um, that those that, that that for me is the starting point of, of what this club should do. And then obviously I would keep Boudreaux through the end of the season just because it feels like this group's increasingly checked out. That serves my interests. Um, you know, I I definitely slow play Thatcher Demko getting back. You know, you talk to him like, hey, you're going to go to the Worlds after the season, go win a gold. Um, you know, we'll keep you fresh for it. Um, <laughs> and you, uh, you know, give as many opportunities as you can. To Archer Silovs or Shilovs and some of the other guys. Anyone who's battling through a nagging injury, like shut them down. You know, do everything you can to juke your draft odds as best you can. And uh, th- th- that would be my starting point. That, that I think, sh- is, a, is a rational starting point for this team, whether they're doing a multi-year rebuild or a one-year rebuild. Whether, whether they're rushing this, intent on rushing it, which I think is categorically the wrong direction, or whether they're intent on competing for the playoffs next year. In both instances, that's how I'd start. Let's get back to the stage. I'm going to invite Rohan K up to the stage. Rohan, I've got. Rohan, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, so mine's like a more easy question, I guess. Um, I'm going to give you three options, and I'm curious what you guys think would be the most likely. Um, so kind of given that the odds of us winning the lottery right now are probably at like 5% when you factor in where we're probably going to finish uh, in the standings, um, do you, would you say that is the most likely option between that um, Rutherford potentially moving on, whether it's voluntary or involuntary or some other big management shakeup, or that Miller gets traded before his new uh, no movement clause kicks in. Thanks. Farhan, what do you think? Boy, odds of winning the lottery, a management shakeup, uh, and what was the third? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> Rohan, tell us in the comments. Um, man, sorry, management shakeup. J, JT Miller. JT Miller's not Miller, getting traded. Miller moving that's on the before the NFC likely. kicks in. Yes, yeah, that's agreed. that's the least likely. Um, oh, and, then, and it was picking number one overall. So I'm going to say management shakeup because I don't think they're going to get the number one pick, which isn't the worst thing. That, sorry, let me take that back. Uh, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be pursuing it, right? Because anybody in that bottom five is going to wind up with a really good player. So even if you fall into that category, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but number one pick, 5%, I don't think they're going to get that. Management shakeup, yeah, I can see it happening. I can see it happening within the next 18 months where Jim Rutherford says enough is enough. He moves on. And, you know, and then either Patrick Alvin doesn't want to work for ownership or they bring in the wrong president or, you know, like I, I could see a lot of that change because that seems to be on brand more so for this organization. I, I just, you know, Canuck Luck's going to prevent him from, from getting the first pick. And, yeah, the JT thing's not going to happen unless he demands that it does happen. However, it's a lot harder to trade him now with that contract than it was with no contract. I think you're right. I think you nailed it in terms of probability. Let's go to – we're going to go to Perez now. Perez, how are you? Good. How are you, Thomas and Farhan? Good. We're doing well. Okay, uh, on to my question. 
So it appears that the management team believes that there is a pathway to go all in or full send for next season. I think our offense, you know, is kind of mid, but has some good pieces, but our defense is horrible. So there must be kind of a plan or any ideas the management has to kind of get to a stage where we can compete by next year. Do you have any idea of what that looks like? Because from what you guys have talked about, it's very hard to shift off the most inefficient D pair in the league. I would love to see what the plan is. Yeah. (laughs) I would love to say I know what the plan is. And look, no one's going to sit here and say it's easy. Certainly the Tyler Myers contract does become easier next summer, uh, especially if you decide to wait and pay the $5 million bonus. And then from a cash perspective, it becomes very, very movable. Um, You know, but there just aren't necessarily that many teams, as we found out with the Louis Erickson situation, that have... Uh, you know, that want to save cash, but have cap space, right? But nonetheless, that deal does become movable. Tyler Myers is a serviceable defenseman. He can play in this league. He's just always played in a role that is one level above what it should be as he's been a Canuck. And we knew that when Winnipeg had him. Like what we've gotten here in Vancouver from Tyler Myers, who's a good guy and plays heavy minutes and gives this team everything he's got, this is exactly what the scouting report was coming out of Winnipeg. So this is who he is, and you know it's changeable. But with only a year left on the deal and not nearly as much cap, I think that's movable. I don't think he's going to bring back significant levels of asset value, but at the end of the day, you just you just want to move on from the number. Um, so I think I think you can do that. The Ekman Larson one is is tough, and now that he got scratched, I know people are are talking about buyout numbers. None of it is good. This is like trying to move a this is like trying to move Russell Wilson in Denver you know, in terms of comparables between leagues. It's tough. Um, Yeah, I also don't have a really good sense of their plan here, but I'm, you know, I'm confident it starts with landing younger players, like players who they have talked themselves into being part of a long-term plan, but who also can help them win now, sort of trying to have their cake and eat it too. So getting some of those guys in that, you know, 24 to 27 year old range who are close to playing Ethan bear types, ideally right-handed defensemen, ideally centermen. Those are going to be their, their top targets here, both in terms of uh, Horvat trades, but also I'm sure once we get to the off season, clearing cap space is something that they'll look to do something they'll probably be willing to pay to do this time around. And those would be, those would be the moves that I'd expect to be the hallmarks of this club's plan. I don't like it. But that's what I'd expect. Chester, Chester Ming, my friend, how are you? Hey, hey. Oh, sorry, hey, disconnected hey. there. No, we got you, Chester. Hey, good. How are you guys? Doing well. Good. Good, good. I don't really have much of a question, but uh, I, I tweeted something out earlier. I, 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 I really, I'm going to leave a positive comment for everyone here. I, I, I really do think there i think we're close i think we're close to something uh i think the media is all in on this the last couple of weeks i think the fans on twitter are really close to this the last couple of weeks it, it's pretty clear that they they can hear us uh dollywall is leaking every single day that that uh, canucks twitter is full of maniacs and it's full of negativity and all this stuff and you know what i think we should keep going because they're clearly seeing and hearing us uh it's been 10 years of this now but on the bright side i do think 
they're very clearly backpedaling on a lot of different things the last uh, last couple couple days and uh, and you're seeing it pile on every week. There's a new story about something dumb, something silly, something really preventable, and you're just seeing that with the Pearson thing today. And I think it's going to come to a head. It feels a lot like 12 months ago with with the betting thing. So I'll leave it at that. Interesting. Um, oh, Thomas R. We have Thomas R. on the stage. Oh, Thomas, hey can guys. you hear us? Yep. Can you hear me? At long last, we got, we got Thomas R. <laughs> um, I just wanted to know if you guys have made it to any uh, Abbotsford games and if you could provide any positive feedback from down there at all. And uh, what is the chances of Colton actually getting promoted to head coach of the Canucks next year? Do you think there's actually any chance of that? Thomas, thanks for the question. The Abbotsford thing is definitely trending in a very good direction. Um, hearing a lot of positive feedback from players down there, uh, agents about uh, the work um, that Colton's doing, but also the work that those players are getting in with the Sedin twins. Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of winning. Uh, you're seeing really good performances from the likes of um, Daniela Klimovich. You know, I, I, we haven't really seen Hoaglander or Pod Colson pop yet, but Linus Carlson, who started hot and then faded a bit, has sort of picked it back up and is scoring at will of late. So definitely some really good work going down in Abbotsford. I'd say, I'd say like Christian Wallanen. Oh, sure. Whatever. The, um, the <laughs> player development investments made by the front office in, you know, this summer, I think are, are the sort of the moves that have like looked the best over time, if that makes sense. Um, you know, that, that feels like what's working out best and what's sort of ironic about it is that's the one area, like one of the only areas where the organization hasn't had wholesale change. Like it's still Ryan Johnson running the show. Um, so a pretty fascinating little wrinkle there for me, but yeah, I haven't been down to Abbotsford. I plan to get there in the next month or two, um, for at least a game and, and to at least write some stories because that's definitely something worth watching and monitoring closely here. Well, I think, I think the name Jeremy Collins was somebody I think Patrick Alvin would have absolutely considered potentially to be this, this club's head coach, right? I mean, uh, whether it was him, even Mike Yo, I think those guys have respect from Vancouver's front office for what they've accomplished as head coaches. And, you know, whether I know Collins didn't win a lot, but in terms of navigating a transition and dealing with young players and things like that. But the more and more we hear about potential names, you know, Barry Trotz is going to get a lot of, of, ink around this job in the offseason. Uh, Rick Tockett, you know, you, you get the sense they might be swinging bigger, but I do think there's a belief in Jeremy Colton, and if if they don't uh, connect with, with one of these other names, I do think they would be comfortable looking in that direction. We've got Ben C. who commented in the chat, um, all good guys, thanks for trying to get me on. My question is, Lots of people blame Alvin and Rutherford for the team direction, but do you think it matters who we have as a GM president when we have an owner who is clearly given the orders to make the team as competitive as possible and will not commit to any kind of rebuild? Farhan, what do you think? Um, do we think that? Like, do we? You know, I, I know I'm not beating my head up against a wall here because we understand what Francesco's MO has always been. But do you think he gave a little more latitude to Jim Rutherford in order to get him take the, to take the job than? He had with 
anybody else he's been dealing with to this point. Yeah, my guess is, is that it's not as hard as, like, you can't rebuild. You're not permitted to doing that. You can't make that move. We can't rebuild. So much as it's about prioritizing the opinion of the guy who believes the strongest that things can be turned around in a hurry. You know, I think it's just a more... I think yeah, it's a, more it's a natural, fair way to describe it. It's a more natural kinship that ownership feels with, uh, you know, a hockey ops executive, whether it's whether it's Benning or Rutherford, who believe truly. And it's not it's not that they're, you know, cynical about it either. They just believe that they can get it done. And, you know, it, it, like it, Benning hates... Benning genuinely just hated losing. He just didn't believe in tanking. And in that way... He was sort of perfect for what this organization wanted. Rutherford came in and, and he wants to turn around quickly. And I think that's just an honest thing that he sees and believes he can do. That's it. He wants to fix this now. There you go. Uh, All right. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I, again, and I said also, given where he's at in his career, didn't want to come in here and do a, an epic, lengthy rebuild and felt it was, a you know, because when you look back at what he did in Pittsburgh, like he didn't strip that thing to the studs at any point, right? It was somewhat of an well, accelerated rebuild. Well, but you have you had Crosby and Malkin you had two elite, yeah, prime. No not not you exactly two elite players. Yeah, you had two you had two elite players, but he hasn't gone about the exercise of a strip it down to the studs rebuild. Right. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's fair. Let's, Let's make our we're, uh, Yeah, we're 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 uh, Chester. By the way, no worries. We we just decided, we just thought that your commentary was more of a statement than a question. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does feel like the organization's reached a different phase in terms of navigating this fan base, and I do think that the seams are showing on that as you listen to and read Canucks coverage around the league. All right, let's move on to football picks. First of all, I want you to evaluate my five and a half to one same game parlay for Seahawks Niners. Okay, ready? All right. If I if I parlay three Brock Purdy passing touchdowns, you'll lose. With the with the Niners to cover five and a half to one. You don't like that? Now, which is the spread right now? Is what? Nine and a half. It was over. It was nine and a half. It's uh, nine and a half like now it. today. You I don't think like the it. Niners are going like to cover nine and a half? I don't like it. Why? There's an equalizer, and I also think the weather's going to prevent Brock Purdy from throwing three touchdown passes. They are expecting 1.3 inches of rain. 100 percent chance of rain, flooding, gusting winds. This is going to be a Christian McCaffrey game. Throw three touchdown passes in this game. I'm not telling you San Francisco is not going to win. I think they are. Could the weather keep the game a little bit closer? It could, but it'll definitely keep the passing touchdown totals down. Yeah, well, if it's uh, if it's a bad, I didn't realize it was a bad weather game, but if it's a bad weather, horrendous. I was in oh. Seattle. I'm on my way back from the Seahawks right now as we speak, and they they've got the nice VMAC indoor practice facility. They opted to practice in the pouring rain today outside in Renton because they know what it's going to feel like on Saturday. Well, that's easy then. Then you just bet the uh, rushing overs for both QBs. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you bet the rushing orders, and, and not for the backs, but for the QBs, because plays break down in bad weather um, with the under. That's that's the way to play it. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, Thank you. Defense will be completely focused on the run game, but weather is going to be a huge factor Saturday. Perfect. So um, I'll take the under with uh, the Geno over 16 and a half rushing, um, the Purdy over five and a half yards rushing, and the Niners money line. That's eight to one. Perfect. Thanks, Baron. I appreciate it. All right. So I'm picking the let's pick against the spread here. Niners minus nine and a half. You're picking the Seahawks to cover. Or sorry, you're picking the Seahawks. Um, yeah, to, to cover plus nine and a half. I think the Niners are going to cover. I don't think the Seahawks can play with the Niners. I was at that game live. I think the Seahawks turn or I think the Niners turn it up defensively and the Seahawks can't move the ball at all. I think it's going to be um, a very lopsided game in the Niners favor. Yeah, the Seahawks. Sorry, Farhan, we uh, lost you at a key moment there. No path to victory for Seattle in this game, but uh, given the conditions. San Francisco to win, Seattle with the money line. All right. Um, then let's move on to the next game. Chargers, Jaguars, that's minus two and a half. Chargers favored. I think the Chargers win it by more than two and a half. I think the Jags are going to upset the Chargers at home. Wow. I think Staley's too good a defensive game planner, and I was really deeply unimpressed by how Lawrence handled the pressure last week. Yeah, I, I just think that, uh, per, like you're talking, but personnel wise, Jacksonville's better on defense than the Chargers are right now. Um, I, you know, I, I think uh, Trevor Lawrence did not play well in that final game, but he's been great down the stretch. Uh, he'll draw some confidence from how badly he torched earlier this season. Yes, I know it was months ago, but uh, I think they're ripe for an upset. Look, I, and I love Justin Herbert. However, uh, I think Jacksonville's defense is playing at a higher level right now than the Chargers' Jags to win at home. Buffalo minus 13 and a half against the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are going to cover that. I'm, I'm picking all favorites so far, but I think the I think the Bills are going to like th- throw and run all over the Dolphins, who can't do anything without Tua, in my view. Plus, I think Tyreek's banged up. Farhan, I still got you, bud. Farhan. My dude, you there? All right, well, well, I'll let Farhan make his pick once he becomes audible again. I'm going to pick the Giants to cover plus three against the Vikings. I, I, I believe in Danny Dimes, and I'm fading the Vikings, obviously, as a stats guy. I think the Bengals are going to destroy the Ravens without Lamar Jackson, and I'm picking the Cowboys to cover two and a half against the Bucks, who I don't think are good at all. And we've lost Farhan entirely. Um, we'll let him make his picks next week. But thanks to everyone for joining us and, and recapping that Canucks game and humoring us on NFL football covers. We appreciate you all. Um, we appreciate you all. We hope you have a good night. It's been a live bandcast from Drancer and Farhan, although he left us prematurely due to some audio issues. Thanks for being patient with us, particularly those whose questions we didn't get to in the queue due to some um, glitches, I suppose, in our ability to invite people up onto the stage. All the best. Good luck from the van.